Hey everyone, this is Trisha Gelman and I am the CMO of Drift and I'm excited to have you here for a new episode of CMO Conversations. In this CMO podcast, I like to interview other CMOs to talk about what I call CMO 3.0. And CMO 3.0 is the evolution of the CMO role to really have a strategic value and strategic seat at the table with both the CEO and the board. You know, in the future, I believe that the CMO is one of the most strategic roles where they're playing a role across um, defining the market, defining how the product team is building to go after that market, and then coordinating sales, service, and marketing together to go after the customer because revenue is really coming from not just new business, but renewals and cross-sell, upsell. And so it's really important that as a CMO, we kind of look across the business. Today I have with me Harish Perry. He's the CMO of ProxyClick, and he's recently moved into the role of a CMO. So I'm excited to talk to him today about, you know, how he's made that move. ProxyClick is a smaller company, um, you know, less than 200 people that is working in the visitor management systems for global enterprises. And I'll get him to explain what that means because it's a little bit of a mouthful, but he's a great product marketer. So I'm sure he has a good answer. And he and I go way back. We met during our days at Salesforce. But what's really interesting about Harish is that he worked at Salesforce, hyper-growth SaaS company, then took his career to what I would call like older, more traditional companies of Nielsen and ADP. And in those companies, he was responsible for leading new business units and sort of modern business design and really driving change from within the company. And so today we're going to talk a lot about driving change, which is even more important today as we're accelerating digital transformation. So Harish, why don't you give us a little um, background on yourself? Absolutely. Thank you, Trisha. Super happy to be here and thank you for having me on the, on the podcast. Yeah, so I'm Harish Perry. I'm currently the CMO of ProxyClick. And as Trisha mentioned, we are one of the leading players in an interesting space called visitor management. But if you think about what we actually do is our role is to help companies of all sizes manage their people flows. And people goes beyond visitors. You're talking about employees, you're talking about contractors, you're talking about delivery people, you're talking about visitors. And our job is again to say, who went in and out of the building? Where do they go in the building? Are they supposed to be where they're supposed to be? It's that notion of managing the flow of people. And it's even more relevant in today's world where the notion of going to an office doesn't even matter anymore. You could be at home. You could be in somebody else's office. And being where you need to be and being able to be in that place and knowing if that's correct or not is a huge thing. And so we're, we're at really at the cusp of that space. And um, yeah, it's a very exciting industry. You know, I'm, I'm a fan of industries that sort of operate in the background, but add huge value. That's like the classic enterprise B2B play. And so, yeah, we're, we're, we're poised for good things. What would you say, I mean, now you made this um, tr- switch to be the CMO. Um, you kind of started a little bit more on the product side and being very close to like, what does the user need, et cetera. But like, what, how would you describe like your secret sauce of being a marketer? Yeah. As you mentioned, you know, my, I actually grew up as an engineer, if you will, you know, professionally. Um, wrote code for many years and then, you know, ran product teams, actually got trial by fire product learnings at Salesforce because if there's one place you want to do it at Salesforce. So that was, that was a great experience. And then moved over into product marketing. And what I learned, what I realized is if you really want to be an effective marketer, you kind of have to know enough about how the sausage is made across the entire company. Because if you want to have a meaningful conversation with the product leader, 
it's the worst kind of conversation you can have is to say, you know, this is not working, make it happen, right? That's the worst kind of conversation. The conversation you want to have is, this is what I know about the market. These are the segments that we operate in. This is the nature of the buyer. I've spoken to 50 of them, and this is what I understand they want. Now let's have a conversation about how we can prioritize what you're doing, because I respect what you do. And let's have a conversation about prioritizing that so we can build something together, right? That's the conversation you want to have, as opposed to just being a typical, like, you know, leads, leads, leads. I mean, leads are important. That is the yeah. game. I'm not, I'm, I'm not at all saying that that is important, but having a, a meaningful conversation about the business is, is really, I think what I've learned to have. And, you know, you know, uh, the, the tongue in cheek answer is being an ex engineer, I'm able to call BS on other engineers. If they come back, <laughs> after, oh, this can't be done. I'm like, well, have you thought about this angle? Right. So that's helped me yeah. but be more of a multi-purpose executive really. Yeah, that's awesome. I think, I mean, I'm starting to see like more of a trend of engineers that are becoming CMOs, I think, because there is this idea of like the problem solving and how do you put the pieces together where like I started in design, which is similar, like you're trying to figure out that problem in the system. But it's, I think it is, especially in like tech enterprise SaaS, it's a powerful place to be from engineering because there is so much conversation to be had of like, what can we do? Where can we drive the product? And especially as you try and align both product and sales to really win as a company, which is, you know, I think one of the key super talents of uh, successful CMOs. You've been, as I was mentioning before, in, you know, you were at ADP, you were at Nielsen, you've been like spinning up these new things, you've been spinning up these new business units. And you've been driving change in industries that like, you know, they'd probably be successful whether they drove this change or not. They've been around for so long, they kind of fabrics of society. And then, as you said, like now you're in this really up and coming industry where it's kind of the fabric in the back end. It's not really like the sexy front end B2C kind of thing. So um, what about your background do you think prepared you for being this change agent inside of these older companies or like now with a company that's trying to change an old industry? Yeah, I think it's, it's, you know, one part of it is what you just mentioned, which is problem solving. So if you, if, you know, digital transformation, if that's sort of the, the macro theme here, um, at the end of the day, it is very complex problem solving, because what you're trying to do is you're saying we've got, let's, let's take ADP as an example, right? There's a vision to build the next generation human capital solution and kind of marry the best of the old with the best of the new. The journey to get there is very complex because you have to unravel and unlearn a lot of ways of doing things and then fit them into a new way of doing things. And so that you require you know, very, very complex problem envisioning, problem solving and articulation skills. That's one big part of it. And then the, the other piece really is empathy, right? And by having sort of a multifaceted background, you understand where not just an engineer, but somebody that works in operations that's been in the billing side of things for 35 years, right? You get to understand why they do something the way they do. And, you know, if you just come in as like a new hotshot, I know, I know best, you're one, not going to earn the trust of anyone, especially uh-huh. in these complex digital transformations. But two, you're probably going to be wrong because the reason something has worked a certain way for 35, 40 years, 80% of it is probably correct, right? It's just that it's been, it's, it's so entrenched that ripping it out causes this kind of pain of change. And so, you know, you need to approach it with empathy, but you need to approach it with, you know, extremely clear problem solving. And so those are the two things that I've learned over the years that have helped me. And, and you know, that helped me over the last couple of years to actually make meaningful change in, a, in these very legacy companies. 
and that being that also like being in a marketing role, which also is kind of a surprise for a lot of these legacy folks. Like, why is the marketing guy doing this? How have you taken that part of like being the marketing guy? I mean, I think like my story is that when I was told I was in marketing at Apple, it was through a reorg and I went home and I cried. I don't know if you know that story. I really thought marketing like didn't have a seat at the table. It was very fluffy. So I would assume at some of these bigger companies, actually marketing isn't really at the table. Marketing is kind of off in the corner. And then here you come in like, you know, the perception I'm sure is like younger, hotshot, new business, shiny object. And like, now you're telling me I need to change my like way of done things for 30 years. Yep. That definitely was a big challenge for a period of time. But I think the, the key sort of marketing skill that you can bring, you know, there's again, two parts to that. One is just the ability to sell, right? Because ultimately you have to convince that's, that's what we do all day long, right? Whether it's doing simple things like copy testing, A-B testing, or, doing something large, like coming up with an entirely new, you know, sales positioning, we're selling all day long, even if it's not directly. And so that skill internally is incredibly important, right? Like you can have the best end state, but if you can't convince someone at their core that like, you need to join me on this journey of transformation, the game is over because ultimately it's all people. And that same thing applies even when you're selling product to a customer. Mm -hmm. The selling thing is a big thing. And then the storytelling part is the other, the other kind of, piece that you have to keep in mind is people are not going to want to change unless there's a story that they can believe in, right? And so that's the other part of digital transformation that you kind of need to, you know, the the cost cutting, the efficiency, the operational gains, all that are secondary. There's a core why, which is almost convincing, you know, the, the legacy folks that in a nice way, that if you don't make this change, you will probably become irrelevant <laughs> or AI will take your job. And so being able to convince people to, to, to come on board, part of that, you know, the empathy piece there is one thing I've learned is you kind of have to get the old guard to help solve problems with you. Because if you just come in and try to solve all the problems yourself, you know, one of the things you'll see is a lot of these legacy companies have meeting heavy cultures and all they do is they go to meetings, they look at stuff, they say something and then they walk away. Nobody owns delivery, uh-huh. even if it's an internal spreadsheet or a presentation, which requires thought. and so getting people to do the work and actually solve the problem and then having them present back, which is another kind of internal sales skill is another way to get people on board because then they feel attached to the solution. And then it almost becomes one of those things where they're like, of course, this is the way we have to do it. There's always, I've been saying this from the beginning. It was like, actually you weren't, but now you are. So it's perfect. Let's just keep moving. Yeah. So yeah. I love that. I can't remember where I work, but there was one place where it was like, I had a manager or senior level manager that was like, if I didn't come up with the idea, then it's just not going to happen. And so like getting to that state where you're trying to convince your idea in, you're selling your idea in, and they're like, this is my idea. Like what, what's wrong with you? Of course, this is my idea. <laughs> but then that's when you know you've won. You can't have an ego about it because if you do, then that's the worst thing, right? Because you know, you're, you're as a, as a digital transformation, like change agent, you know, you're, the sustainable change comes when the people with the skill and the will for the mm-hmm. new world actually start to own the problem. And you, that's more sustainable and they can run with it. Yeah. If you end up doing everything, you're, you're going to burn out in, you know, in two months. So why do you think, I mean, we're talking here about emotional components to like growing a business. Mm-hmm. Typically, like I had a different episode, we talked about emotional component to like leading your team and like, you know, be having empathy with your team, especially in this time working from home and everything else. But like here we're talking about the emotional component and the empathy needed to drive change. Like, why do you think change is so threatening 
for people, especially in these larger companies where, of course, you need to adopt new technological ways of doing things, but like, it's just so scary to people. A lot of times it's, it paralyzes them. Yeah. In a lot of these legacy, I mean, especially at least in my experience, right? The work that people do becomes part of someone's identity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, there is a tremendous amount of pride in knowing that for 35 years, I've been the person that sales has gone to for questions, or I've been the person that knows where the thing is that's behind the other thing that five widgets depend upon, right? Uh-huh. And being like the widget person is a source of pride. What happens is people over time lose the ability to solve problems. And they've, they've just sort of become very good at doing a certain part of a value chain. Uh-huh. It's threatening because first, first you're, you're questioning, you're almost questioning the, you know, or making them question the value that they're going to provide in a future state, right? So one of the big things that I personally had to go through in my, you know, my prior role was unlearning a lot of my assumptions and being able to define problems, create artifacts that, that, that are the answer to the problem, drive people and like keep pushing to, to execute hard. It was a skill that I learned later in life. And this whole like adult learning model is very mm-hmm. threatening to people because people don't want to be told they know something, they don't know something. And then they don't want to do something a new way because it's, it, mm-hmm. it actually hurts at your core. And so there's, it changed on multiple levels of threatening. I was like, is my job going away? The second thing is, you know, are you saying that I don't know how to do this because I, that's been a source of pride? And the third piece really is actually learning a new way to do things is very difficult past a certain age. Like it's just very hard. And so in a lot of legacy companies, like you got like a population that's older, either professionally or actually older. And so just for them to have to relearn things is incredibly just painful. And that's a good thing to look at is who are the people that will actually make that change. Mm-hmm. And they're the ones that probably you want to want to keep or keep, right? Because a lot of digital transformation efforts are also about cost cutting and, and kind of reducing the workforce to bring in more automation. Yeah. So the ones that can actually make that change and unlearn and relearn a new way are the ones that you want to keep. So it's very easy for companies of art, like in our world that are tech companies, because we thrive on change, right? We sell the fact that everything is changing. And we live in a world that's changing all the yeah. time. And that's how we win. But for a lot of legacy, like they've been, they win because of stability. Uh-huh. So like, how do you marry agility and stability? That's, that's the big, the big thing. And it, it's, it's, it's painful. It's very painful for, for everyone involved, but you have to kind of drive through it. Yeah. Um, it seems like you've done this multiple times. I mean, even when we were working in Salesforce, we kind of acquired this company and then we're like, okay, maybe what you guys thought you did isn't exactly what you should do. And we kind of had to drive a bit of change there in terms of where is this going to fit in the Salesforce stack? How are we going to sell it? And how is it going to scale? Because it's okay to be a great business at the size it was, but it needed to get bigger. So you've been doing this for a while and it seems like maybe, maybe not on purpose, you don't have like a formula, but I feel like you have a formula. Like there's a way that you approach driving Mm -hmm. the change when you like, maybe you're translating it even now into your new company of like, how do you help the company be successful? But like, how are you looking at making success and not just running in and everyone being like, oh my God, you're like a a tornado that got stuck in the room. (laughs) Yeah. They're pulling the China shop. It's interesting. You mentioned that like, you know, I've only been here, I would say month, two months, but like in the first two weeks, I got some feedback from my CEO saying like, hey, listen a little bit more. Right? Uh-huh. So it's like very direct because, you know, he's a super nice guy, but he's like, look, you want to be successful, you got to listen more. And it's funny, like for, a, you know, for a Series B startup or scale up, there's even there, there's, there's entrenched ways of doing things, right? And we are 
if for us to transition from the, the kind of platoon in the woods startup phase to this like, hey, now we have an infusion of you know, growth equity and we have to start scaling, many people's behaviors have to be unlearned. And so how, how you make that happen is at the end of the day, like you, you know, as for as much as I talk, I have to force myself to stop and listen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with each of my peers on the executive team, right, the head of customer success, the head of sales, the, you know, the, the chief product officer, like it's just stopping and listening to where they're coming from. But then, you know, that's where the marketing skill comes in is you listen to everything and then you paint this vision, this connected vision, and you get buy-in again from it, but then you make it so compelling that people are like, yep, this is where we need to go, right? Like we're redoing our packaging. We're going to be relaunching our whole like web presence, all the standard stuff you would do in a, in a company of our size. But that same formula, like even at, you know, the world that we came from, right? Changing the way we talked about the, the nature of data in a business and why certain types of data are relevant for a certain growth stage. That's a connected story, right? Mm-hmm. It's not, about, hey, look, my fields are better than your field. It's more like, this complete package from us will help you go to the next stage of your growth, right? Yeah. That was a data thing that we had, we had done. So that, and that's threatening because it, it may not be what some people had had in mind, but the key is to listen to everyone and then come up with this like connected story. And I think that's to bring it all home. Like that's where I think product marketers are kind of secret weapons because all what we do all day long is connect the dots, right? Like we, we have to connect the dots for sales to communicate value. We have to connect the dots back to product to help influence the roadmap. We have to connect the dots with our customers to, again, from a, from a value perspective. So that ability to be a connector, mm-hmm. a telling connector is a huge, I think, a, like a massive secret sauce that helps. Actually, I think product marketers, if they learn to become powerful executives across the yeah. Yeah, I was um, just talking with a startup founder, really small, like even smaller than the company you're and they were like getting ready to have their first marketing hire. And they were telling me that like what they're doing is disrupting a market, but it's not really a replacement of one thing versus the other. It's like a whole different story. And I'm like, you need a marketing leader who understands how to do product marketing because like you're telling a story about like how your solution solves a problem. It's not about the widget. It's not about the feature. It's about a whole new way of looking at the world. And that's about storytelling. And so you need someone who understands go to market, but also storytelling. Like you were you know, saying earlier, like for digital transformation, because it's the same thing. Because if, if stories that connect with people, then you can kind of light a fire deep within people to make the change. Otherwise, you're just going to be dragging people, dragging people, and you're like, you'll burn out in a couple of months. <laughs> yeah. Well, one, one of the things we talked about before, I think you've kind of touched on a little bit, but I want to like, I really feel like it's a part of your success formula and it's helped you in all these different companies is you talked about sort of the people who like, they've been in the company for a long time. Like they're, you're probably not going to have success if you just come in and say, I'm going to bring in a whole new team. Like there's something about the people who have like the intellectual property of the company and have been there a long time. They know like behind all the little rocks and turning them over, like what's good and what's bad. But at the same time, maybe a lot of those people don't want to change. So can you talk about like, how do you work with these people to kind of actually create a secret sauce of driving change? So in addition to the things that we've touched on, trust is huge. Mm-hmm. massively important and it's it's like the the simple things so like actually spending time to talk to people about their interests you know how many kids do you have like what what do you do yeah. like, and like just a little like social banter I mean this just you know this may be a U.S. specific example I mean there's there's uh, there's ways to do it 
in other cultures, but you know, for, from my experience, that trust building is incredibly important. And it's actually it's interesting. It, you know, in the beginning, when when I was had started on the digital transformation side, of my prior role, I used to find that annoying because I'm I'm very like let's let's like let's get to work. You know, what's what's the thing we're talking about? What numbers do we do we have that we need to make better? And people would spend 15, 20 minutes just shooting the breeze. And that's, you know, a maturity and learning on my part is that builds trust. And then what happens is when you can unlock the trust, you actually unlock this thing like discretionary effort, which is a thing that we all want from people that we work with, was when they go above and beyond. Uh-huh. And they want to do the thing that you want them to do, right? And so it's almost like, you know, it sounds Machiavellian, but like trust is almost power. Like once you build that trust, you then have a massive amount of power because people will want to do things for you that you didn't even talk about. Right. And like I had Pete, this, you know, this, some of my biggest opponents or detractors when I was switching roles, they were like, look, you're the, you're probably the smartest person I've worked with, best person I've worked with. Like that just came from having the trust. Right. And the trust came from just talking like simple things like shooting the breeze. And I feel like in our tech world, we get so enamored and like drive forward. Like what's the thing, what's the cool thing. Versus like, how are you? <laughs> How's life? Yeah. Well, I think especially in hyper growth environments, which a lot of enterprise SaaS is hyper growth. It's about, you know, go, 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 go. And people get stuck in that list of like, how can I get these things done versus like really connecting as humans. And I think that's so important. And hopefully like in today's day, as we're all separated, I think we've started to see that this human connection is even more important than ever. And I love the fact that like this idea of the currency of trust really helping to drive change, mm-hmm. right? Because you're not going to get people to give up the old ways that they did things if in the end of the day, like if they don't trust you. Yeah. You know, so that's the personal side, but on the professional side, you have to repeat and repeat and repeat the, the, the script that you're not doing this because you want to be better than them or, you know, you're trying to replace them, but you actually have to approach it from a little bit of a service mentality, which is, I'm doing this because like, I believe that this company can be better than what it is today, as do you, which is why you stuck around for 40, 35, 40 years. So we actually have the same end goal. And And I love that connecting in the same, like creating that unified goal and like the direction. Took me some time to learn this, but like uh, the human part is is bigger than all, all the business cases and presentations you can make. Like, and that's probably just me unlearning being an engineer. You know, it's, it's like you got to get right to the. I mean, I actually think it's a maturation thing. I think like when you're younger in your career, I think you think it's about like getting the things done, right? Achieving the goal and your manager wants to make sure that you've like checked those boxes and things like that. And I think if you're like on this quest to grow your career, I think a lot of people think like I have to be able to say I did that myself. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think if you like look at people that are very successful early on in their career or like just in general, like start to build their career and move up. I think if you look around, you'll see that the people who are the most successful are the people who gather others and build this trust, like you're saying. So it's not about what they did, but it's about like how as a team did they work together? And I think that's really important. I mean, you're talking about it in the context of driving change, but at the same time, if you can't do that at all, then actually people, as you get more established in your career, I think it becomes toxic. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, it's the, you know, you have to be very transparent about you're doing this for a goal, for a shared goal that has nothing to do with you, right? It's about a common mission and the mission changes over time. But if you kind of keep that mission in mind, then, you know, there, that, that's a, a way to 
to bring people along. So yeah, yeah, that's and and I think being being a, a like a product marketer is a, is a I think a super skill to have to drive the stuff internally or with customers. Yeah. Is there a time, like, do you have like a high level example? Like, I don't want you to talk about some secret sauce within a company, but a time where you like really got stuck, you know, you're trying to like drive success of an initiative and you really got stuck, but you're able to maybe like leverage one of the older, um, you know, legacy people and their point of view to kind of like break through. Yeah, most definitely. I think, you know, it's in the role right before this, you know, I was responsible for the sort of the whole go to market off you know, one of the digital transformation issues. I don't want to, you know, get, get into too much specifics because of industry. Yeah, yeah, you don't have to talk about specifics, but just no. generally, like, why do you think it got stuck? And then, like, how did, like, leveraging the people who had more history help you? Right. And so part of that change required a massive amount of operational system change. Mm-hmm. The market is not just the way we sell the product, but it's also billing and operations and implementation and all the things to get that our you know future customers successful in any digital transformation. You know what? If you bring in a consultant, the thing that they'll point out is the billing and operational part is the treacle. Like that does does not move. It's the roots that's been there for years. You know, 35, 40, 50 years, and it's the hardest thing to change. And so you know, this is the example that. I alluded to earlier is it was actually the person that runs that in this initiative, you know, this, this person that she'd been there for, I would say 35, 40, like a long amount of time. And, you know, and yeah. my current lawyer. and it took me a good, you know, it, it took me a while to realize that the way to, to, to move forward was by building that trust by listening. And like, it's like very small things, like not interrupting this person in a meeting, mm-hmm. you know, He's on a soapbox, let the soapbox play out. If you need to get another meeting after that, let it happen. Because if you interrupt the soapbox, you're done. And so these are personal learnings. But this person was the was the core, the decision maker. The whole team looked to her to say, what should we do? And so that kind of human learning, but then being able to actually really structure arguments and structure the thinking and bring like real solutions to the table with optionality and not show up saying this is a solution. Right. Yep. These are all like small things, but it took me a while to learn that. But that is how then we were able to break through and actually flip it around and have her be a proponent of the, the options were taken to the point where she would shut down other detractors. Like it was beautiful to watch. Right. And so, you know, to the point where she was like, wait, why are you going, why are you switching now? Like we got to be let, let, let's, let's do this for the whole company. Right. Not just this one initiative. So it was yeah, I mean, well, that's like thing like that's so personally fulfilling when you take yeah. somebody who in the beginning you think is like a big distractor, you interrupt them once and they're like really giving you the stink eye. And then you realize, oh, like this is a way to build trust with this person. Oh, now this person's advocating with me. Now we're having big impact in the company. I mean, when I've worked on initiatives that I see other people really driving success and change, not me. It's like, I just feel like it's really fulfilling because it's almost like you like watered a little seed and it grew. Exactly. Yeah. You, you want to be the gardener, not the tree. You know, that's, 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 that's the way to think about it. Yeah. When you're in a new industry, like, you know, your current solution, you're trying to like change an industry or when you're in a company, like, do you think the change has to come from the outside to kind of instigate people? Or is there a way that people can really think about approaching like a new mindset or bringing change into the company that they're in right now? I think it's a bit of both, right? Like, what I've seen is that it's better to have like one change agent brought in from the outside 
but then their job has to be to spark that change in others. Because sometimes it, it and this is another, you know, human thing where you almost get a little bit more credibility, you know, and, and license to, to be a little bit of a bull in a china shop if you come from the outside, that, that, that has its limits. You have like some permission. You walk in with permission, permission because like permission. you're not from here basically. Yeah. You don't want to overdo it because you don't want, you'll piss people off. Like you have to do it the right way. Yeah. Um, it's a bit of both. Now the mistake a lot of companies make is they, they kind of spin off these units. A lot of big companies, you know, they spin off entire units, innovation labs, you know, they'll like cut off a part of the company and they just say, we want, tech talent. We want smart people from the Valley or like from, you know, Chelsea in New York, like it's equivalent, right? Or Silicon Alley. Yeah. The problem there is those people don't know anything about the, the soul of the, of the mothership, right? That yeah. matters, right? The people, the connections, the people, the why certain things are a certain way. And so you almost want this hybrid team, you know, like Lincoln talked about a team of rivals, like you want that to be able to, to have the best of all opinions, but the, as long as the person in charge is sort of an external change agent, that usually is what I've seen as a, as a good recipe. Yeah. So maybe like back to what you were saying before, it's like the external person kind of listens and understands like, okay, what is it that we need to drive success? And then paints that story and like creates that connected story. But then by having that connected story, you can kind of bridge across the old, the new, like the different parts of a company maybe. And then that helps you to kind of successfully bring it all together and drive results. The the legacy people in to actually do some of the work. Uh Just presenting and waiting for approval. It's like, well, okay, this is wrong. Like what should we do? Right. Can you come back? And that's where you marry the two, right. Rather than, a lot of legacy approach is just to speak in meetings and then walk away. You want to flip it around and say, can you come back with a model? Can you come back with a spreadsheet? And then the old world sees how hard it is to actually drive change. And they're like, oh yeah, like I should, you know, I'm, I'm on the hook to do something. I don't want to look like a fool. So I'm going to put some time into it. And I, personally, I've seen like people then call me on the side, like they're like, hey, can you help me with this? Like, exactly. Change is hard. Let's all do it together. Right? Yeah. It's, a, it's very interesting. Yeah, I like that. Like that idea of like holding people, giving people assignments, holding them accountable, and like helping them to kind of develop the solution. I mean, I think like even in startups and hyper growth companies, when you are going from one phase to another, or you move from like one target audience to another, like you have to drive some amount of change. And people think like, oh, that's easier, or like I don't need to do that. But I, I think the more that people can help to drive that accountability and the ownership for what the solution should be. Like, again, you're back to that broader group of people and everybody starts to get bought in and it just has a much bigger impact on the company. Yeah. And one other point is I've, I've seen that, you know, the back to your notion of how you create that team, you definitely don't want to bring in a change agent that just kind of pontificates. You actually want someone that will do. Uh huh. Oh, that's an interesting concept. Well, because, you know, the def, by definition, change means you don't know the direction that you're going in. So the change agent has to show in the beginning what good looks like, what great looks like. And so even in a, in a startup, like if you're going from, you know, like startup phase to scale up phase or scale up to like hyper growth or, you know, or like IPO path, like yeah. the content that you produce, you know, like something as specific as a first call deck for an enterprise customer, right? That's going to look very different in one phase versus the next. And so if you're trying to transition to the other phase, people from the current phase are not even gonna know what good looks like. And so the change yeah. that's brought in has to create that. And so you want people that are creators, not forever, but they have to show a couple of examples of like, hey, this is how you would do it. 
and then yeah. be like, just emulate this, please, right? Yeah. Tell the concept, then people will take that and even make it better. That's that's when the magic really happens. Yeah, I've seen that firsthand and I couldn't agree more. Now, I think the thing we talked about is that change is really difficult and scary for people. And so once you kind of like make this effort, I think, you know, we also like, maybe we're not talking about the elephant in the room. Some people hate it and they leave. So mm-hmm. like that does happen. But in the end of the day, I think when you're on this path, it's very easy to just continue on the path and move forward, like change this, change that. Like you've got your list of checkboxes again. I think it's really important maybe to celebrate the milestones and are there ways that you have not just focused on driving that change, but on celebrating and creating visibility in terms of what's been accomplished. Yep. It is. It's huge. It's kind of like in a, in a, in any company, right? If you have values, like you, the, the way you get values become to become part of people's behavior is you recognize people that are living those values. So you, you yeah. know, recognize that publicly. So people are like, Oh, if I did, if I did make these behavioral changes, I'm going to get a, a hoodie as well. I mean, I'm using a startup example, but yeah, yeah. But at a larger scale, the celebrating is huge. You know, the, the, the form at which you do it, I mean, again, depends on the specific example, but the key there is you want the people that have made the change to talk about it. So again, it's, it's one thing if the new guy talks about it, that's gets boring after a while. You want the old guard, the people that you're getting on board to actually, you know, send out the emails or make the, you know, the big town hall presentation mm-hmm. or, you know, publish a dashboard, whatever it is, whatever your metrics are and your, and your forums are, you want them to do that, right? Because then that signifies to the other folks that are just like them that, hey, this is, this is something I should do too. It's very, it's very akin to, you know, creating customer heroes. Yeah. And- saying look it's like internal customer heroes yeah, exactly it's a lot of a lot of parallels to to kind of enterprise sales and success as well are there certain ways that you kind of build out a project with metrics so that you can maintain sort of that success and that engagement you talked about that percentage of effort that people will do i think this celebration kind of plays a lot into like how much energy and how much will people go above and beyond from my experience like these large internal transformation things are multi-year, you know, painful, large projects. And so, yeah. you know, it, the, it's very, it's very easy to get lost in like, oh, we got to do these hundred things and we're going to hit this milestone. There's a lot of them are like done waterfall planning. You almost have to create these softer milestones, right? That may from a, from a project and overall, like, let's say cost cutting or efficiency perspective are they're meh, but from a people feeling perspective, they're huge. Yeah, so that that's the that's the part that you want to celebrate. Like, it's like, hey, look, we've now finished this pilot for the billing transformation for the operational transformation, and you know, this is this me, this is a huge deal because we've done this thing the same way for thirty years, but now we have directional indicator that we can be better, and so let's talk about that. So that the actual metric may not may not be a huge move. Yeah. But emotional metric is huge, and so that's those are the things you want to celebrate more because people can connect with that. Yeah. And I think it becomes a leading indicator into like what's possible instead of people wondering and maybe even clears out some of the super doubters that like, oh, this can't happen. This can't happen. If you, you know, you take the time emotionally to help people celebrate the big like emotional journey they're on, but then also like that reinforces to more and more people that it's possible to drive that change. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's exactly I think as a leader, it's really important to map out those milestones and to not just map them out, but to to really celebrate them and to take the time because it has a very big impact on the team. Yeah. Like you mentioned, in a hyper-growth environment, 
you know, switching gears, like you can get lost in like, it's kind of addictive to move from the thing to the next thing to the next thing, right? Like we're all kind of driven people, but like stopping to be like, well, listen, like, you know, it's not like we delivered a massive amount. Let's say you're operating a sprint structure. Like we didn't, we didn't deliver a massive amount this sprint for, for this team, but we actually worked together for the first time in this new way of working, right? I'm, yeah. This is this is actually a current thing that we're going through and like we've changed the way in which we work, right? So just that is a leading indicator that if we do this even better the next time, like our output's gonna go through the roof. So just take that and run with it in you know, every individual please because you guys all did it together. Yeah, totally build that momentum. And I mean, I think in all parts of business, it's important to have the leading indicators and the lagging indicators. If you're on a two-year journey and you get to the end, then it's a lagging indicator that the journey's done. Yeah. But like, you know, along the way, if you're just like, oh, I think I'm going somewhere, I'm not sure where I'm going, and you don't have those indicators that you're actually on the right path, mm-hmm. it gets very difficult to sort of get people to follow on in the path with you, which is an important lesson. Mm-hmm. What would you say, you know, after talking about you being an engineer, you did product marketing, you did product, like you're, you know, the super agent and like be building empathy, it sounds like in these companies, like, how does that help you in your current role as the CMO? Yeah, so I'm. I think it helps me tremendously because I'm operating a little bit more like a CMO with a strategy hat. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I have my day-to-day operational metrics that you know my CEO and the board hold me responsible to. Right, that's good. That's what you need. But there's a, the team is there that's really owning and delivering the work against that. Right. So what it helps me do is like my my new best friend is our head of product. Right. Like we were just we have these you know long, lengthy conversations about how do we change the packaging? Like what what segment should we be focusing on? Like how do we deploy our capital the best? And these are strategic conversations. Right. It's not about, hey, you know, let's create a new ebook that's going to get us more leads like that has to happen. And that happens. And, the, and, and, you know, I think the other thing for me is less focusing on the minutiae, uh, but focusing on building a machine that can create a thousand of the minutiae, right? Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the piece that, and so that's where like the systems thinking comes in to say like, how do we create a, a better way of working within the team? And also then something that's replicable when we do hire more people. Yeah. So that systems kind of org design. And the second thing is it's like being able to just think truly strategically and asking the questions that, that actually will make my other my executive peers feel uncomfortable sometimes. It's like, hey, well, why are we doing this a certain way? And then saying like, you can ask me the same things. That's okay, right? We want to make each other feel a little uncomfortable because it's a safe space. And so it helps me transcend, you know, beyond sort of a, a pigeonholed role of a, of a, you know, chief marketing officer, if you will. So it's that true, like you can marry marketing and strategy. I've heard of this, this notion of like the chief market officer. Yeah. I love that concept quite a bit because, you know, your marketing is a core part of it, but knowing like, the, like zooming out and seeing... What are the segments that we want to be in? Where are we winning? Where are we not? Should we be investing here? Should we not be investing here? If we want to invest here, how do we need to get the product, the sales, the go-to-market and the messaging machine aligned to make that happen? That's kind of what I'm able to bring after, you know, as sort of the, the amalgam of all the experience to date. So I think that, that that's like what really, you know, wakes me up every morning. Yeah. I mean, I truly believe this is the secret sauce of what a CMO role is today because, 
marketing, there's nothing consistent about marketing. If you talk to the CRO, they have a number to make. They have to make the number. They have X number of people, their productivity per person. I mean, it's kind of this formula that you kind of like stick things in and you have one, you have two, you have 500. It's kind of the same formula across, right? But in marketing, you have so many different functions and like in part, you have to work with sales. In part, you have to work with customer success. In part, you have to work with product. I mean, it's really across the whole business. And then all the different tactics have different flavors of how you do them and how you measure them. And so the mind of a marketer who understands all these things, I think, is really positioned uniquely to help bring the company together. And I was talking on a different podcast about how I actually think one of the best marriages within a company is the CMO and the CFO, because they're both the people that see across the whole business. And when you can pair that together and say, hey, like, what's our CAC for this segment versus that segment? What about this industry versus that industry? Like, where do we actually have the best synergies? Okay, like now let's figure out what does a product do for those like places where we win and bring all of that financial data and the market data and like everything together. It really can unlock a lot for a company and puts that chief market officer in a real win location around the strategy and as well than the execution. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's, it's a, it's a wonderful time to be a strategic marketing leader, as long as you don't lose focus on the the day-to-day. And that's the other thing, right? You mentioned that marketing is always changing. Like even as a marketing leader, you know, it's very seductive to get caught up in, Oh, what's the big picture. Yeah. You, you know, you take your eyes off what's happening like right now, you, you're you're in trouble. So it's the weird thing where you have to live at multi, you know variable zoom as as it's called. But I mean, I still think it's this is you know a really really good time to to be a marketing leader because also with the world you know blowing up the way it is and everything changing. Like when we do go, I, I almost joke like it's not there's a new normal. We're now in a world where there is no normal. You you have to constantly be thinking about like how do we reposition and talk about ourselves in every company to adapt to this world where there is no normal anymore, right? Ways of working have changed, ways of selling customers, everything, expectations have changed. And so marketing is the one that will stare into the void and say, okay, how do we redirect where we want to go? Yeah. And I think like just touching on that point that you had before of like getting so enamored by the strategy and like really looking as your job as helping to like bring the strategic long-term thing together for the company. The way I look at that is that you have to make sure that your house is in order that gives you the permission to go and do the rest. But like, if your house isn't in order, like what, why would anybody keep you around? Right. Like at the end of the day, you are doing marketing as a part of that, like chief market officer and and that alignment. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So we're getting toward the end of our time. And I wanted to just kind of, I always close with, you know, the lesson. So we're talking now about this like strategic ability to bring things together. And I know that's sort of one of the lessons that, you know, you have learned is that there's this huge strategic opportunity for the CMO. But if you think about it as a lesson for the listeners, like what's the lesson you would pass down to the listeners of maybe like how they can become this more strategic marketer or what do you think is like your one thing that you've learned in your career that you would want to pass down to the listeners? I think it would be, you know, spend some time in your, in the shoes of the other functions, however you can, right? So if you're, if you want to learn more about sales, like be annoying, go talk to your sales counterparts, your sales leader and say, can I sit in on, you know, as many sales calls as possible, right? You know, you ask the product leaders, can I sit in on release planning or sprint planning or whatever, you know, ritual you have and understand how you think? Because unless you really get to that level, like you won't be able to have credibility to bring things together as much as you may want to. 
And then at the same time, like have complete transparency into why decisions you make in your own function, why you're making them a certain way with all of your peers, right? So that that ability to just like literally walk in other people's shoes is is massive and will set you up for great success as a, as a marketing leader. Well, this has been very insightful and really has brought, I think, new insight into the concept of change. And we're in this world where there is no normal, like you said, which means we're all living through change every single day. And I think your insights, people could probably look into them and think how that even just relates to their private lives in terms of the change that they're going through and how they rethink it. If people want to talk to you more about change and potentially get your advice, like what is the best way for people to connect with you? I mean, you can hit me up on LinkedIn, hit me up, you know, we, we can probably put my email on here, hperry at proxyclick.com. I'm happy to, to help anybody with any questions in this area and, you know, bounce ideas off of. I think we all, we all need a little bit of that in, in this world. I think what's been so fun in doing this podcast series, especially when we launched the first episodes, they had been filmed in person and people freaked out because I was sitting in a room with other people. Um, But then it's been great as a way to just connect and have kind of like a collaborative conversation and learning with lots of other CMOs and different companies in different situations. And I love the fact that in this episode, we're able to talk about change and about how the CMO, which maybe is an unsuspecting role for most people to be that change agent and to be the person in marketing, helping to disrupt a little bit of like the old ways of a company, but to do it in a way where you have empathy and you build trust. And that actually helps to drive almost like an organic change within larger groups of people, which is really, I think, a great lesson. Thank you so much for being a part of the CMO conversations. Um, if everyone that's listening loves this episode, then please go back to wherever you downloaded the podcast and give us five or six stars. Also connect with me in LinkedIn and um, comment when we post you know, the episodes. You can always comment back in the thread about other people that you would like for me to have on CMO conversations or other topics. I think this topic of change, as I said, it's very topical for today, but you know, maybe you're challenged with something else in like being in the marketing field or you want to learn and grow about an area. So please let me know. And I'm more than interested in engaging and continuing to have this dialogue of the future of marketing and how we can be more strategic and really help to drive value within our organization. Thank you so much, Harish. All right. Thank you, Trisha.